Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Believe in a power greater than what you are going through when you don't know what to do. That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing, like the song says. From Los Angeles, the city of angels, and from the Big Apple in New York City, <laughs> or close to it. <laughs> uh, welcome to all my caregivers out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the caregiver's caregiver at the Caregiver Dave Radio Show at caregiverdave.com, along with my lovely co-host Adrian Gruberg at thecaregiverspace.org in a place near the Big Apple called Fire Island, if you know where that is. And we are here on live radio, 24-7, numerous syndicated radio and podcasts, uh, 26 global audio and video platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, a whole bunch more. And even it goes off to syndicated radio land. In fact, we're proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM. And number two on Feedspot out of the top 60. And number two on uh, CaringVillage.com. And we have an exciting show planned for you today, don't we, Adrian? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Well, you need to sound a little more excited than that. <laughs> don't be afraid to reach for your dreams. You don't have to wait until after you've finished caregiving. You can plan and take small steps now these will reap big benefits for you now and into the future. But before we get started, I want to take this moment to thank my last week's guest, Kiona Cox. She's a modern-day Renaissance woman who is loved by Jesus. She's a mother, entrepreneur, author, producer, architect, influencer, innovator, strategist, solutionist, disruptor, and a bridge, and much, much more. And you can listen to that show and all our shows, including this one on caregiverdave.com and all those other platforms that I mentioned earlier. All right, enough of that. Lindley, welcome to the Caregiver Dave Show. We're so excited to have you on. I'm excited to be here, Dave. Oh, good. It's always good when they're excited as well. And I always like to ask my guests just who is Lindley Baker and why was she placed on this earth? Wow, I don't usually get asked that. I... That's why I asked it. <laughs> An energetic person. I love to learn. I learned one language for a decade. I'm a musician. I'm the mother of six grown children. I'm an actuary, which is uh, like a mathematical technician for insurance or social security. And I'm a daughter, a sister, and a friend. Daughter, a sister, and a friend. Wow, it sounds like a folk song. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we're excited to have you on your on the show because caregivers I think many of them, their dreams have been robbed from them. They used to have dreams, and now they feel like they're in prison, and their dreams have gone so far away that they're almost impossible to reach. But you're going to change that, aren't you? You're going to tell us how we can hang on to our dreams no matter where we are. So let's start with uh, how to balance your life for your current situation, you know, financially, physically, emotionally, intellectually. 
which is a great intro because I'm writing a new book. It talks about goals, financial, spiritual, uh, emotional, mental, physical, and I know I forgot one, but uh, there's six of them. So go ahead and tell us your story. Well, excellent. My story is, like, I was I was very busy when I had my six kids at home, and when my baby went to first grade, I decided to get a master's degree in music performance. And most people thought I was crazy, and maybe I was. And what I expected was, I'd enjoy it, it'd be fun, I'm just gonna squeeze it in and make it part of my life. Because one thing I wanted to do at some point in my life is something big with music and getting a performance degree in music was, you know, could be that. So. So I, I signed up and I did it part-time, of course, because I couldn't do it full-time. And I was surprised. I found that doing what I loved for a couple hours a day energized me for my caregiving for the rest of my life. And so even though I was a little busier doing the laundry and the care of the kids because I had fewer hours to fit it into, I felt like I was a, a happier person, a better mother, uh, because I was pursuing my dream. And so this is part of the story that I share in, in my new book. It's called Don't Be Afraid to Do What You Really Want to Do, Reach All Your Life Dreams. And it really looks at the big picture, it looks at your whole life, and if you get to live a normal lifespan, you probably can fit in something special with all your dreams. Wow, that's a great title to a book, by the way. <laughs> Thank How you. long has it been on the shelves, so yeah, to speak? It's been out about three months. <laughs> Doing well? Getting a lot of sales? Yes, it's great. Good. It's Good. available on Amazon so far. And okay. what the, the steps for handling a break from your career, the first step is what you just referred to, Dave is balance your current situation. Because if you don't feel comfortable where you are, you won't have any brain power to be thinking about your dreams or your career return or anything else. You'll, you're just in a place of suffering and you're not able to, to think uh, about, about your future and being proactive. So you need to figure that out and then you will be free to go on to the bigger and better stuff. That's a great point because, you know, most people feel overwhelmed. They don't know where to start. I know I, I get that way. I'm a clutter person. I, I don't want to admit it. I'm in denial about it. But, uh, you know, my car or my office will get to a point, and I even paid someone to reorganize things, but it, I just, it always slowly goes back to the way it was. And the hardest part of getting organized is just knowing where to start, where to begin. So uh, great advice. So let's talk about dreams. When reaching for your dreams, uh, you say it feeds your soul and it gives you capacity for the demands in the rest of your life. Uh, even the Bible says without uh, vision or without dreams, people perish, right? I, yes. I even think of the, uh, the Jews in the Nazi concentration camps. There's a lot of survivors, you know, they didn't all die. And the ones that survived, I bet, had a dream that one day they would get out of there, you know. Not that the ones that died didn't have that same dream, but uh, it's so important to have a dream and a vision, isn't it? 
Oh, it, it totally is. And I think, uh, as you mentioned, the Bible, I think our dreams are God-given. I think that's part of like who we are. Like that, if we talk about our core, that's our, our inside, our spirit. It's um, what makes us unique. I remember being in college and and looking at the world for the work world for the first time, and and seeing how we we kind of had enough nurses and enough doctors and enough attorneys and enough business people and enough musicians, and it's like, how did we get this balance? And it's it's like. I think it's planned by God to some extent that we all like different things and in a way that can build a society. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I believe it's all God given. It's all part of a plan. It's all part of this uh, master plan. Mm -hmm. So set up a virtual antenna for each of your life dreams. What does that mean? Well, it means to once you've figured out what your dreams are, is to try to pay attention to what you might be able to do with them. For example, my dreams were motherhood, music, and math. And so for my math the dreams. Three M's, huh? Motherhood, music, and math. Yeah, yeah that's the first section of my book, actually, <laughs> three M's that I figured out. It just happened. I'll start with M. So for my math dream, I got a degree at the Wharton School of Business, majoring oh. in the mathematical field of actuarial science. Thank you. Dummy. <laughs> and what? so, and then I got a job as an actuary. It was really cool. It was super fun because actuaries are like the experts of the insurance company, and then in that side, and then other sides are like underwriting or marketing, and those experts tend to be people later in their careers, people in their 50s and 60s that have a lot of experience. And I was in my early 20s and I was like hobnobbing with them and collaborating on projects and just, just loved my job. Uh, but you heard another M was motherhood. And so when I, when my second child was born, I resigned my position and focused on motherhood. And I didn't want to think of that as, well, this is the end of my career in math because I loved it too much. And kids grow up, hopefully, and then there should be a chance at the end of that caregiving to have a career. So I even had my kids kind of younger and maybe too close together for, for my sanity. Um, but with the idea that I would have time for a significant career afterwards. So. I was just trying to pay attention to what I might be able to fit into my life for math while I was busy with the kids. So I happened to be living in China in 1994 really? because my then husband had a job assignment there and the whole family got to live there, which was cool. And I read in the monthly international actuarial journal that China was looking for a teacher for their first class of actuaries. Hmm. And China had a planned economy under, under communism, so there's no risk. Nobody owns a factory that might burn down and then where would they get money to, um, to rebuild it? There was no insurance. And then in the 90s, China was moving toward a market economy, it was establishing joint ventures with foreign companies, which was part of why our family was there. 
And so insurance was needed. And if you have insurance, you have to have an actuary to figure out the numbers. So they had found some really brilliant mathematicians, college students, and said, you guys are going to be China's first actuaries. And they were looking for a teacher. And I applied and got the job. Wow. And it was it was super cool to to be a part of that. They they were so smart. They won the prize for the on um, for the first exam of the highest score in the whole world. Uh, five of my 30 students won that um, tying <laughs> the top score. And I'll tell you, when I took that exam, I didn't get any prize. But uh, <laughs> it was and. and the exams are in English, and these people speak Chinese, and they still beat all the Americans, all the oh. Brits, everybody else. So, so they were really smart, and it was a great experience. And that led to teaching at other universities later, and it was also part of staying connected to my profession, which mm. really uh, paid benefits later. I, we can talk about that more later, but. In answering the antenna question, if I didn't have my antenna up, kind of looking for what might I be able to do to keep current, I would have totally missed it. Wow, China looks great on a resume. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> what's it like living in China? Well, I can't tell you what it's <sighs> like now, but 25 years ago, it was a challenging experience. We were in Shanghai, and it was very dusty. There was a lot of construction of high rises. There were hundreds of bikes on the roads, uh, pretty dangerous on the streets. So for a biker, well, or yeah, for a pedestrian. And for the cars, I mean, it was yeah, cars. It it was people weren't used to having cars around, and they so they didn't know how to be careful around cars, and um, so so that part of life was hard. There were not a lot of uh, foods that we were used to eating as Americans. They didn't like they didn't sell cheese there. Asians tend oh. to be lactose intolerant. And we did find at one grocery store uh, some mozzarella cheese. It was made at the Shanghai Experimental and Training Dairy. And it was different. Experimental. Every time. I don't like the sound of that. <laughs> I know, it was different every time. So it's like, well, we actually made our own cottage cheese, but Really, we had to get really creative in making our foods from scratch because we couldn't get what we were used to. The thing that was really that made it great, though, were the people of China. They're really friendly and frank. We made some great friends, and I especially enjoyed getting to know my students in my class. Um, some of them even let me name them. They were looking for an English name, and so I got to name some of them. And so wow. it was really the people there that made it a great experience. Tell me about the people. Um, do they know what a place uh, like China that, you know, they don't have freedom and, and everything is uh, planned for them? Uh, do they not know what they don't know? Most of them don't know what they don't know. Um, I did give a one lecture in my class called um, – lecture on life and my uh, my sensor or my assistant professor whatever you wanted to call him actually recorded it and didn't uh -oh. tell me ahead of time he was going to record it but uh -oh. I chose to talk about what leads to death like smoking 
and drinking and even that just statistically men die younger than women and all those things and they're all backed up with statistics because the Chinese government didn't tell them those things and and I'd read in the paper how somebody had died because he was on break lunch break at work and he was on a dare with another person seeing how many cigarettes they could who could oh smoke more cigarettes during lunch and after like 32 he died from some nicotine reaction stopping wow. his heart and it's like these people don't know many many of them smoke and they they, they just think it's an activity they didn't know that it, it makes you die younger so i had i had done that and they they um had they never complained about the lecture so i know they had they had approved it but i, mean, I was careful to make sure I wasn't just giving them conjecture. They don't want people coming into their country just spreading proselytizing. Yes. Right, but I could um, different things. I even told them to be nice to everybody. Yeah. Like the janitor, the secretary, the president of the company. You never know who can help you in your life in your career. So you should just be nice to everybody. And that was also a different concept. So. Um, so that was a way I tried to have some positive influence there in, in China while I was there and helping at least my students understand some of the um, the causes of life and death that we generally understand in Western yeah. society that they didn't know. I'll go ahead, Adrian. I just want to know what you were saying, that kindness was not something that was expressed to them to to uh to express to other people in china in in those days you were you just did what you had permission from the government to do and if you chose to do something different that was dangerous yeah there there was a time that um we were um in a car going down the street and we saw an accident and there was a man in the street that was injured severely and the people on the sidewalk, one, there was this one guy on the sidewalk that was thinking he wanted to come help and everyone else on the sidewalk was saying, don't, don't get involved. So it's not the kind of thing that, that we see. Or, or even like at the factory that we built there, there was, um, there was a man that, that was supposed to run a machine and it broke. So he just stood there for the rest of his shift. And he came in the next morning and just stood there. Yeah. Because he hadn't been told that in addition to running this machine, <clears throat> it was his responsibility to let someone know when it broke. And so the type of training that we had to do for the workers to teach them like an area of responsibility was outside of their experience as Chinese citizens. Wow, that's amazing. I think we should take a break and then we'll come back. And so we'll be right back. Don't go away. We are a community of caregivers that understands and supports you wherever you are in your journey. We are a place to connect with other caregivers, but more importantly, a place to get practical, actionable help. There are lots of ways for you to get support. First of all, you can download our welcome pack. This will get you started on your Thrive journey. Next, you can ask and get answers to your questions by posting them here in our private Facebook groups. You can also get live online support by attending one of our live weekly Connect webinars. 
You can get practical, actionable advice by listening to our weekly podcast. You can hear and read other stories about other caregivers' experiences. Plus, add your own in our weekly Share Your Story forum, posted every Tuesday in the Facebook group. You can access essential resources and download practical Thrive Solutions Packs, all of which are geared to help you thrive as a caregiver. You can get lifetime access to all of our resources. Again, we're here to support you and help you thrive and to enjoy your life as a caregiver. And remember, this is a place to get hope, not just cope. And we're back on the Caregiver Dave Show with my guest, Lindley Baker, and my co-host, Adrian Gruberg. You know, they say that the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. Do your kids have the same passion for math that you do? Well, I have a variety of children, and <laughs> one of them, uh, about half of them really went into math. One's a high school science teacher. One is getting his doctorate from Johns Hopkins in computers. And wow. one's an RN. Uh-huh. Um, but I adopted a girl from China when we were there, and she is more in the soft side of things. She just got her master's degree in human resource management. Wow. <clears throat> so you should be proud of all of them. You know, I have seven grandchildren, so I beat you by one, I think. It's uh, how's the grandchildren? Are they also <laughs> going in a good direction? Are they old enough to know what's going on? I have just two grandchildren, and they're adopted, so it's not the normal grandma experience yet, but uh. they are awesome kids, and I enjoy spending time with them. When I used to live out of state, I did a Monday night uh, video time with them, and this was way before coronavirus, before other people did it, and like I would read to them, and they would read to me, and we'd share what's going on in their lives so I could be a part of their lives even when I lived far away. I'm sorry, I probably misheard you say six grandchildren. You probably said six children. Is that what it was? Yes, I have six children and two grandchildren. That's quite a load. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, so many caregivers are not sure about calling caregiving a dream but there are people actually out there who who have the burden, maybe the burden's not a good name, who have the desire to care for someone, you know, and maybe that's why they go into the professional caregiving, you know, paid caregivers. But after a while, they soon realize that, uh, you know, it's not all cherries and plums and uh, pudding, <laughs> that it's hard. What do you have to say? Uh, about having a dream like that, that maybe it doesn't have to be your only dream? You can have multiple dreams, right? Yes, I think most people have like two to four dreams. I've never met someone who only has one dream, although it's possible. I think the caregiving dream is often not your whole dream. So you might have a parent that you love, children you want to care for, a a child with extreme needs, that takes a lot of your time, but you can enjoy meeting their needs and you feel fulfilled that you're helping them have a good life. And so that's definitely something that can be enjoyed. But usually you also have have other dreams, like when I was caregiving for, for six young children, 
and I had my music dream, then I was, I, I found that I was a better person working on more than one dream at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, my plate was full without yeah. doing anything other than taking care of six kids. But I found a better life by working on my dreams too. So how can you guide someone like a caregiver to think of a dream? Maybe they don't have a dream. Maybe they never had a dream, or maybe their old dreams seem too far away. What's your advice for them? I teach a three-week class called Identifying Your Dreams, and we start by looking at everything that they've enjoyed from childhood. Mm. And maybe it was horseback riding, pottery, a course in anthropology, not necessarily their major, just anything that they enjoyed. And as they go through those memories, often it triggers something like, hey, that was really energizing to me. That was uh, something that brought me joy. And Uh I would really like to do that kind of thing again. So my theory is that we can reach all of our dreams but we can't reach all of our goals. For example, if your goal or you think your dream is to run a marathon in under two hours, then, you know, that's what a lot of people do. That's like the gold standard of long distance running. And and let's say you're in a car accident and you, you lose the use of one of your legs. You're not gonna be able to reach that goal in your in the marathon but you could reach a similar goal. So your dream is probably more of like athletic achievement and fitness. So you could do like the wheelchair division or there are other goals that you could set that would fill that dream that might not be that original goal. If your dream is like a career job or to take a class or teach a class, work an occasional shift, um, what do you recommend for that? Should they... um you know, have some aptitude, are you, I don't think you're saying, but you might be, that um, it's okay to have a dream that is totally outrageous that maybe you'll never achieve to just to have it, you know, uh, to make you feel good? I mean, clarify that. Well, I think we have many kinds of dreams. Ideally, one of your dreams is something that makes money and you can have a career in it, but there are other dreams that aren't there for the money. My music dream, I never needed to make that my career to make money. I made a little bit of money at it, but my focus has been more to enjoy creating great music and teaching music. And that's what makes me happy. I've organized music festivals and just given people a lot of opportunities to perform in different ways, and including being a choir director for, for many years. So so that's my, my dream and it has nothing to do with a career. But if you have a dream, <clears throat> that you want to be related to a career. It's also good if you have some aptitude in it, some talent um, that helps, not necessary. But while you're caregiving, that's probably going to be a finite time in your life. And after that, you may want to return to paid work, uh, make a living. And so if you, there are things that you can do while you're caregiving that are going to give you a head start toward your return. So let's say you want to go back to the same job you had before. Then you want to stay current somehow. You could take a class. You could teach a class. You might volunteer 
in that field. You might take do a, a shift once or twice a month. Just something very, very part-time, but that will keep you connected. That will help your future employer see your dedication to the profession. It'll help you remember what you need to know to do that job. And so <clears throat> that's something, <clears throat> excuse me, that you can do to to prepare while you're super busy caregiving to have a successful return. And then if you don't want the job you had before, you want to get into some new field, then start preparing for that one and start learning yeah, about it. I think you can just plan also. You know, that, that can be very satisfying. Uh, really fleshing out all the different aspects of what you might want to be doing. Um, I was I was a graphic artist and advertising and marketing person. And then um, I started to do more fine art. And then I became caregiver, got wrapped up in the caregiver space after that. And now I'm starting to get back into the art. So just going through my materials and seeing the papers and the brushes and you know all of the things that that I've collected over the years for it is energizing you yeah. know the, it makes it makes it more real even if you never actually do it like let's say you you have distractions the rest of your life and you intend to do it but you never get around to doing it, it it's still a good thing to have that dream no because we don't well, know what the future holds well for me i mean i i don't i don't see myself having having a gallery show i i do it for myself yeah. um if it ends up being a gallery show that hey that would be great I'm a sailor, so I've always wanted to sail around the world. But, you know, I'm 67 years old now. Is that still going to happen? Well, I still have a passion for it. I still fantasize me doing it under the right conditions. It could happen. You know, maybe uh, it's with a, a part of a crew that is going to do it, and I don't, you know, the burden of all the work isn't falling on me. Maybe I'm just along for the ride. I can help out here and there because, you know, sailing is hard work. And what you can do when you're 20, it can't necessarily do when you're 67, or at least without <laughs> experiencing pain. <laughs> but uh, I still have a dream to uh, live, you know, uh, on the water with a dock and, and my my boat in the backyard. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but it's a dream. And yet, let's talk about the things that I didn't dream about that have happened, and I didn't know that they were dreams, and actually they weren't dreams. I've I've done 49 TV appearances, and that was never a dream. I mean, if somebody told me four years ago that I was going to be speaking all over the country and go on TV and speaking at all these places and writing four books uh, and, and doing uh, just the things that I've been doing, I'd say, what are you, crazy? You know, it's like, yeah, I'm going to be an astronaut, go to the moon. So I just don't think that it's wrong to dream outrageous dreams that anyone else would say, yeah, come on, what are you, crazy? Because look at what's happened to me and look at uh, so many famous people. 
just kind of fell into what they do and they really had no desire or ambition to do it. It just kind of happened. And so what's your opinion on all of that? Purposeful dreams and dreams by accident and dreams that seem outrageous. Really great ideas, Adrian and Dave. And especially what you were saying, Adrian, just thinking about and planning for your dream, like your art in the future, that gives you the same emotional benefit as actually doing it when you have time. And so just think about, dream about whatever you think might be good because if you have that antenna up to help you find it, you know, it may happen. Uh, as far as like sailing around the world or living on a boathouse, those things, if you have your antenna up, if something occurs, maybe you could do something. Maybe you'll find like a, a sailing opportunity from, from India around Africa to England or, or something that's not the whole way around the world, but <laughs> yeah. part of the experience that you're, you're hoping for. So I think as long as you're, you're, you're dreaming, I mean, someone asked me, like, what if everybody followed the principles in your book? What, how would the world be different? And I said, I think it'll be less zombie-like. <laughs> because people aren't thinking about their dreams and, and what they want to do. They're just, they just feel stuck and going day after day and maybe occasionally getting away on a vacation, but not really having that lifelong vision of, I want three M's. I want motherhood. I want music. I want math, and that's what's going to make me happy. They're not thinking about that bigger picture, and so um, I, I just wish people would. Yeah. You know, I have a gas station, and it has a coffee espresso uh, bar inside and a drive through So many people work for me. <laughs> they tell me, you know, I have a dream one day to open up an espresso shop and this and that. It's like that's got to be the most common dream out there. And they don't have a clue how much work it takes and how much money it takes and you know, finding the right location and the competition and this and that. But uh, I let them have their dream because, you know what, who knows, one day they might. At least now they're doing something to achieve their dream. They're working in a coffee shop, learning the trade and so on, you know. So, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. What if the dreams uh, are returning to the workplace, uh, you know, maybe some skills you had in the past, uh, talk about that. So I ended up taking 19 years off corporate actuarial work. So that's that's a whole generation. And if you yeah. imagine like a doctor or a lawyer or somebody gone for 20 years, you're not <laughs> expecting them to be able to come back. And so I call that like my impossible because people would think, well, no, you can't. But I wanted it so much that I did what I could to try to make it possible. So that's why I taught in China and I taught in other places. And I've also volunteered with the International Society of Actuaries in their education program. So developing educational material, writing test questions, grading test questions, all those things helped me be current and I didn't know if it would be enough to get back into the workforce. But for me, that whether I got back or not, I was okay doing those volunteer type experiences yeah. because I would know that I had tried my best either way. 
turned out when I had the job interview to come back into the workforce and it was, my resume was terrible. I, I tried so hard to make it look good, but I had lived in China and Japan and France and the US and often when I had a job, then the family would move. And so it was, it was so disjointed. I even had a professional help me with it. And but finally I got in front of this brilliant interviewer named Grant and he was trying to figure out like what made me click. And finally he, he just sat up like with his eyes wide open and he said, you mean to tell me that you've done everything you can do to stay current while you were raising your kids without working? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> And he named it. He said he called it a 19-year investment. Ah. He could see that I had invested my little bit of spare time toward this career return. And that's that was the key to getting the job back in my profession. And then we started talking about, well, what do you still not know that you need to catch up on? And And we worked on that. They gave me a job. And... He promoted me in seven months after that, um, yeah. and it was it was so great because I had, I learned that that staying current was so key to coming back. If I had raised my kids and then gotten bored and say, hmm, what shall I do with my time? And then decided, hey, maybe I could work as an actor again. I did that 20 years ago, and it would not have worked. No. It didn't. It wouldn't have shown dedication to my profession. With their computers and all sorts of new things that you needed to learn that you needed to stay on top of. There, well, computer programming in general was is something to know, and that didn't change. Although the software did change, so I had to yeah. take a new Excel class and some things like that. Um, I remember thinking about like, I wonder what calculator I'm going to get before my first day of work. And then, then they gave me all my stuff and I was in my cube and I'm like, um, there's no calculator here. And so I realized, oh, I guess maybe they just use their computers now. Okay, well, there's something else to learn. Um, so that there was that. And then there was um, just so many things had changed. I felt like I have a whole chapter called Stupid Questions. And you know, being an intelligent person, doctoral level education, speak several languages, and I had to ask these questions. I thought, you know, like anybody in their 20s would know this if they'd been to college, like maybe even in any, any major, you know, it's just so embarrassing. It's like, how can I ask this question? But I, I had this conversation with myself. I, I, I don't know this answer. I need to know this answer to do my job. This is a really stupid question and going back and forth and finally i i set a rule for myself so i could live with it i made a list of my questions and i decided i could only ask a certain stupid question once so i mean i had to i had to understand the answer document it so i wouldn't have to ask again because that would have been like mortifying you need to have uh, google answer all your stupid questions <laughs> there's no google yet <laughs> well i mean it, it, sometimes I could Google things, but some of, some of the things weren't. So, uh, you had to pick who you wanted to ask. 
Yeah, well, I had a supervisor and he he got stuck with my questions and <laughs> but it it didn't take very long. Grant and I had talked about it might be about four months for me to get up to speed and really it was it was less than two months and I was able to really contribute. So so if you are going to be coming back to the workforce after a caregiving break, you'd need to expect that there will be some things that you need to catch up on and you might have to work a little harder, get used to something different, ask some questions, but it's just very temporary. That's just part of the transition, and then you can be back into the job you love. It reminds me of that movie that Robert De Niro did. He was like a 75-year-old guy, and he went back to work in the office, and I don't remember the name of it. It was a good good movie. What were you going to say, Adrian? <laughs> I, I was going to say, sometimes when you're re-entering the workforce, it's okay to take a position that's lower than the one that you have in mind that's yeah, a, attached you. to it and work, work your way up. Not, yeah, not, which is also what I did. That's the way to learn the things that you, that you missed. Right. If they, they can't prepare too much so it's yeah, it's yeah. yourself down wrong, but necessarily. Yeah, and you're setting yourself up for success. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And everybody wants to be happy. That's what we're all striving for is happiness. But this seems to be a really uh, secret on how you can become happy because uh, happy people usually are content and they're usually satisfied because they're living their dream right every year i'm living my dream and so uh talk about that how uh, dreams and happiness is, is really connected to each other well i think it's be, it's going back to our inner core like who we're who we're meant to be or who we're happy being um one person i heard described your dream as whatever brings you pure joy like, right. what do you do when you can do anything and you don't have to do anything else? And so, or your passion, right? Your passion, pure joy. What, what? And so, for some people, I mean, it's different for everyone. For some people, horseback riding is pure joy. They just can't get wait to get out there and go along the trails or off the trails. And 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 for other people, it'd be misery. <laughs> You know, they 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 might even know how to do it, but just not enjoy it. And so that's why we're all so unique, and we need to learn what we love to do and bring our passion to those things. Or, or and passion can come from from those things too. Yeah. Well, we're going to take another break, and then we'll wrap it up. So we'll be right back. Don't go away. Anytime we suffer loss. We grieve, and a lot of people don't realize what even the grief process is. But it could be five to seven steps ranging from denial, I don't believe this is happening, anger, oh my gosh, I'm so upset this is happening, to a form of bargaining, how can I get out of this, to depression, which is a very serious thing because that often leads to suicide and then finally finally after you realize you have no more control over your situation and you're totally okay with the new normal that it brings 
that wonderful, wonderful place called acceptance. And we're back on the Caregiver Dave Show with my guest, Lynn Lee Baker and Adrian Gruberg as my co-host. So what have I not asked you yet that you'd like to cover as we wrap this up? Well, I want to cover the, the third key to a successful return to the workforce after caregiving. The first was getting comfortable with your situation. The second was staying current in your field. And the third one is translating skills you may have gained during your work break that can help your future employer. So if you're caregiving, you know about dedication to a cause, you know how to get things done. I mean, you have to take care of that person 24 seven or make sure someone else is. Um, you know how to um, respect people, nurture people, help people, um, and you're, you're totally dependable. So those are skills that if you, that you probably aren't thinking about putting on your resume. You're putting on your resume the work experience you had in the past and your education and things. But these are the things that make employees successful. Going to be a good leader or a good team member you need to know how to get along with people you know how to you have to know how to lift people you need to be dependable and so if you can put some of those skills onto your resume then that may give you the edge that you need to get someone to hire you again when i was looking to come back to work and i had my 19-year investment i couldn't put onto my resume organizational skills from organizing six kids and figuring out how to <laughs> live off of 16 suitcases worth of stuff for the whole school year in China, um, running music festivals, um, you know, all that management organizational experience, um, dealing with grown-ups in society for school activities or music festivals or church activities, all that was very valuable because as I said, I get promoted seven months after I got back to the workforce. And that's not to, to a manager position. So it's not from what I learned during those seven months. It's what I also brought to the workforce that I didn't have on my resume. And they said, you're a great manager. You're like a better manager than 90% of the people here. And well, sure I was. I had more managerial experience than people who sat at a desk all day for 20 years. I had time to do things outside of desk work. And, and they saw that. And then a few years later, I changed companies and went up to a, a higher level. And then after seven months there, they promoted me to full vice president. And again, it's not, I mean, you don't stay and assistant vice president for seven months. Nobody does. It's like five to 10 year position if you ever get up to vice president. But it was all those skills that I had that didn't go on the resume that, that, sh that gave me the ability to manage people and lead people and inspire people. So I have a class now where I teach people how to take these soft skills that they've gotten during their career break whether it was caregiving or they were climbing mountains or 
whatever they chose to do and showing the employer that that is also an advantage they're bringing to the work. Your life skills are underrated. They, they are, and they're so important. And, and there's one more thing that you bring that I don't, that doesn't go on a resume, but Kinko is part of your interview conversation, is your pent-up enthusiasm. I had so much enthusiasm to work as an actuary again because I loved it and I hadn't done it for 19 years. And if I had kept doing it all that time, I would not be so enthusiastic about it. It would, I don't think I'd be bored, but it, it wouldn't be this, I wouldn't have that same passion. And so that is also something that you can bring back to your new employer after a, a career break. Well, it's amazing how fast this time has gone, right? Whenever you're having fun, you're having a good time, time flies. So if listeners are interested in finding out more about you, where can they go? You can go to my website, linfluence.pro, that's P-R-O. And the word linfluence is at the letter L and then influence. So L-I-N-F-L-U-E-N-C-E. Yeah, linfluence is dedicated to using my talents to make the world a better place. Linfluence, You can get information at linfluence.pro or you can go to Amazon and you can get a paperback or ebook of Don't Be Afraid to Do What You Really Want to Do, Reach All Your Life Dreams. Great title, great book, great guest. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, and to all my listeners, thank you again for tuning in. So until next time, I want to say bye-bye. We'll see you again. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise. Like the birds will never sing